Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show on AM 1000 in Orange and San Diego counties and on AM 930 in Los Angeles County. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you through the good offices of Relevant Radio from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral. Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today, we are blessed to have some deacons-to-be and their wives. And they're going to talk to us a little bit about what it's like to go through the process of becoming a deacon. But before we begin with that, I would like to ask one of our deacons, uh, David, would you mind leading us in a word of prayer? Deacon-to-be, David, <laughs> if you would be so kind. Sure, thank you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Father in heaven, we lift up to you all that you give to us, all the graces, all the gifts, all the challenges. We lift up our diocese, and we ask for your grace to help bring others closer to you. We ask that you bless the class that's going to be ordained on Saturday all those who will be there, and all those we will minister to. In your loving name we pray, amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, so with me today, we are graced to have two couples. John Silberstein, is it Silberstein or Silberstein? Stein. Like Frankenstein, we talked Silberstein, about. We, did, we did talk about that. John and Amy Silberstein, and uh, they are here from the Garden Grove area from Orange. 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 And then David Hernandez and Stephanie, and you are way far away from the city of Orange. Orange. Is the two of you actually don't live that far apart from each other, as I understand, when we were talking on the way up here? That's correct. We so, live in the same neighborhood. Is this something in the water of your neighborhood, or is it? <laughs> it's, the, it's the dog walking distance. The dog walking distance. Okay. So we, I know that in this class that's going to be going through, there's like five couples or something like that. Are they all from Orange? Or do you have people from all over the, the whole diocese going through? There's people from all throughout the diocese. I think from Orange itself, I think there might be around six. Yeah. Oh, wow. Was... So there's a lot more than the numbers that I got. Okay. A lot of holy water in Orange. A lot of holy water in Orange. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> do you go to the same parish? No. no. The six come from just a few parishes. There are four actually from St. Norbert's. Wow. Okay. Very good. And we're from Holy Family. You're from Holy yeah. Family and you're from... Saint from St. Norbert's, but we've been reassigned to St. Killian's down in Mission Viejo. Oh, wow. That's a tough duty down there. So, okay. Yeah, it was, it's a hard drive. It's a hard drive. <laughs> so we're going to be talking a little bit about the process that it's taken, both formally and a little informally. And uh, this is going to be a similar process for our listeners who are in San Diego and Los Angeles as well. My understanding is that most of the formal process is pretty much the same throughout most of the dioceses in California. And uh, all of them involve uh, the wives and the process very directly. So there's a lot of uh, not just support, but direct involvement and interaction for the spouses that are involved. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and talk for a moment. What are the basic rudiments of the, the formal process? What do you have to do to be a deacon? What do you have to do to be a deacon? Uh, you have to be a male, 35 okay. years of age or older. And uh, that's the same for being president. So you don't have to be male to be president. <laughs> okay. 
Yes. But we won't go there. No, we're not going there. We're not going there. <laughs> uh, and then there's some other requirements. Usually you are then nominated by your pastor. And uh, some, after some early meetings and some early classes, you are formally accepted into the program. goes on for about four years after that. And you take all sorts of classes for anything from church history to Old Testament to New Testament. And then things like in how to uh, give a homily and, and be pastoral. Okay, so this is kind of like a a mini in-house seminary training light, if I may. It's it's a, a, an attempt to give some basic theology, some Bible study, and the ability to preach and to be pastoral. What about the, the liturgy? How much training do they have you go through for that? Uh, we've had um, a couple of classes on liturgy also, uh, along with, uh, a lot of experiences to help uh, introduce us to the different ministries throughout the diocese, those that are formal and those that are informal, just to help really open our eyes to the needs that are out there in society. So you basically had a, a class all the time since you started about four years ago? Mm-hmm. Twice, usually twice a week. And then in your third year, we do a year on Catholic social teaching. And during that year, we actually do a lot of different ministries. We go to the prisons, so we all spend some time in prison ministry. We spend some time in hospital ministry. We go to the different communities in the par- in the diocese, excuse me, to see, you know, how do the different or- groups worship and pray. So is that kind of a shadowing experience? Do they, like, link you up with uh, another minister who's working within the ministry, or do they give you your own assignments to do while you're doing, like, the prison ministry? Uh, with the prison ministry, yes, when we were introduced to that, we um, paired off with uh, probably another deacon or his uh, the deacon couple. Okay. Uh, and then eventually, as we became proficient at that, then we branched off and began leading our own communion services. Okay, so the idea is to get you started in the ministry and then see if you sink or swim. And hopefully <laughs> the Holy Spirit <laughs> buoying you up, yeah. and on eagle's wings you will yes. go ahead and, and soar. Okay. It's a Very great good. way to say it. Perfect. <laughs> We've got a lot of good swimmers in the class. That's good. That's good. Well, we, that's, that's, uh, you've always got a lifeline, so there's several hymns we could throw out that we're not going to. <laughs> so in the process, then, you're talking about four years of a lot of study and a lot of, uh, of application work. Do you ladies go through the same classes? Are you side-by-side side with your husbands during those classes? I would say for the most part, yes. I think... We have the opportunity to either become master catechists or we choose to audit the course or courses, I should say. And, oh, and okay. um, most of us will go to the classes with our spouses. And for many of us, it was a real eye opener um, and a great way to learn about our church history. As John mentioned, Bible studies or, or actually Bible teachings and so on and so forth. So it was, it's been a great experience. Fantastic. What about you, Amy? You were I audited as well. Um, there were a few ladies that actually took the classes for the same credit as the men towards their master catechesis. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was it was a huge eye opener. I was not raised Catholic. How long ago did you become Catholic? Shortly before we were married. So it's okay, been, it's been a few years. Well, that's that's fine. But um. <laughs> but it, so it was as an adult you became Catholic. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so auditing the classes was probably. Well, let me ask you this, because I know that a lot of people that convert, especially after they've reached adulthood, they've often done their research into the faith. This was very 
new for you or? Yes, a lot of it was very new for me. Um, having not been raised in the church at all, I was exposed to it, you know, early on being married and going to mass with my uh, in-laws and my husband, but learned a tremendous amount through the, the courses here. Okay. So these are courses then that are also offered for other people doing other ministries. Like you mentioned the master catechist. So if people want to take these same courses, then with the possible exception of some of the ministry experiences, like the the shadowing and doing that kind of thing, they could pretty much take the same courses. They can, although the, the diocese is going through some changes in um, how it's doing its education. So uh, what's formerly known as IPM or Institute of Pastoral Ministry is going through some major changes. So the future of that is a little bit up in the air right now. The diaconal education will be taken over, I think, by the office of the diaconate, and then the pastoral ministry and educational pieces will be done separately. Oh, okay. So they're going to have a, a, a different formation in the future that will still, I'm sure, have lots of coursework for them to all go through, but they'll have an overlay of some sort of a formation change, it sounds yes. like. Okay. Very good. So people that are interested in becoming a deacon, it sounds like there's there's two people to then consult first. One, first foremost, is the wife. And I assume that that happened very quickly amongst you. I've got different smiles for the two ladies. I'll have to ask <laughs> this question when we, when we come back in our next segment. But uh, And then the other person, of course, is the pastor. Did you start this by asking the pastor, or did the pastor come to you? In my case, um, I first spoke with my wife. Uh, as I felt good, that good the, man, Mr. Hernandez. <laughs> <laughs> Got a big thumbs up for the wife there. I know the order of my bosses. <laughs> so I first spoke with her just to let her know that this is what was coming to light, to see what her thoughts were, uh, and to see uh, what direction we together thought we should take as a couple. Now, had you been thinking about this for a while then, or was this a shock surprise? And I'll answer that one first. Um, probably prior to um, being asked by another deacon couple, I had asked him maybe two years prior, had he ever thought about the idea or possibility of becoming a deacon? Oh, Amy, the seeds you sowed. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was, I think, the start. But he just said, no, I don't think this is for me. Oh, good. Famous last words. <laughs> and here you are. Here I am. <laughs> you can still escape. You've got a couple of days yet, but that uh, don't think right. that's in the cards. Okay. And then what about you? Was it a pastor that approached you? Was it a wife that approached you? Did you approach the pastor? Yeah, unlike David, I don't I don't take as much direction from my wife, unfortunately. It's something still I'm learning a lot about, okay, even after 26 years. That's the bruises on your head, I see. Okay, very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, so mine was, was very different. Mine started as a child, kind of like we all do. We grow up bouncing around the back of the station wagon with the priest, going to pizza, talking about... A ministry and becoming um, answering the call to being a priest or something else and I really didn't feel that that was my calling but there was always that little seed planted in the back of my head and about seven years ago our uh, pastor father Pat had a cold and I was a sacristan at the mass so I'd set up the mass and I was sitting in the sacristy and uh, I had been a lector and a Eucharistic minister so very involved liturgically and he came in, and, and he could barely speak. And I said, well, too bad I can't give a homily for you. And he says, but you could. And actually, just before that, I'd actually been thinking of maybe I should think about becoming a deacon. And it started a conversation, and so he's the one who kind of lit the fire under me. 
Very good. So that day, did you give a reflection instead of father, or did he suffer through it? He suffered through it. Okay. <laughs> Theoretically, you could give a reflection, but not the homily until after Saturday when you guys are... Correct. Are so let's go back in the time that we have then. So for people that are interested, generally speaking, it sounds like either someone has put the bug in your ear. For both of you, it sounds like someone put the bug in your ear. Yours was your wife, and yours was your pastor. But neither one of you had been really thinking seriously about that before. You were genuinely called by the Holy Spirit to this ministry. In my in my 20s, for a brief period of time, I discerned priesthood. Okay. Uh, but then through that, I um, discerned that, no, I was called to married life. And then afterwards, um, just multiple people, after Stephanie had mentioned it, multiple people started mentioning it to me to where then I really thought I need to really enter into a serious discernment myself to see if I feel that this is really the call that I'm being called to. So when we come back, what I'd like to do is to shift gears just a little bit. I'd like to actually start off with Amy and Stephanie to talk a little bit about what this has been like for them. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today are John Silverstein and Amy, and I hope I got the 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 I'm right this time. <laughs> Perfect. And David Hernandez and Stephanie, and they are deacons to be, very shortly to be ordained. And we're talking about the call to the diaconate. And when we come back, we will hear from the wives about what that's been like for them. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today are two deacon couples. And I call them deacon couples because in the diaconate program of today, the wives go through the training with the deacons. And for the most part, just about all of the training is my understanding. So I would like to ask, first of all, what has this been like? And I'm going to ask you to pretend your husbands aren't here. Be honest. What's it been like to have to go through all this? Or was this a pleasure? Or was it kind of a mixture of both? I'll start first, Amy. So for me, it was a little on the difficult side um, because we were told that we would have to pretty much give up our ministries at church so that we could really Ooh. focus on the courses and what this all entailed. So let's start. stop for just a moment. So... The first and immediate sacrifice that you were told you're going to have to make is whatever you're doing at church. And most people who I assume are going to be thinking about the diaconate as a couple are already involved in significant ministries. That's correct. Okay. Yes. So you were told you got to give those up. Yes. Ouch. Okay. So that was really tough because at that time, our church, Holy Family Cathedral, was starting a women's ministry called Walking with Purpose. And so I thought, well, this is a great way for me to maybe meet some of the women and get involved. And then um, I couldn't join this ministry, so it was a little—it was a little hard for me at the first. At first, I should say, but going through the process, I have to tell you, it has been an amazing, amazing ride. Um, I've enjoyed every bit of it. Giving up the sacrifices, yes. However, it has really taught me to not be a, for lack of a better term, pew buddy, but I'm out there in the. Streets of Orange County. A pew buddy. So yes. that's an interesting image. So the, the way that perhaps it had been figured before, women were there to be kind of their their moral support but stay in the pew and 
accompany the deacon, but that's his job. And that's not the way they're doing it today. You are a partner in, in crime and ministry. Yes, yes. And we okay. were told, which which um, I believe is um, a great um, way of saying this, is that the marriage comes first. This is our first and foremost sacrament. And so this is what should be concentrated on first. And then everything else will fall in place. And it really has. That's very good advice. It's uh, advice given to a lot of married couples when they're talking about, what do we do with our children? Well, focus on your marriage and you will have fewer issues with your children. Correct. And that's the same thing with the diaconate is what you're saying. Yes. What about you, Amy? You were not Catholic originally, but Catholic for several years now. So how was this for you? Did you have... Other um, ministries you were involved with? Yes, yes. I was teaching confirmation at the time. Ooh. Um, I did finish Battle out. scars, teenagers. <laughs> okay, got it. <laughs> I had. Te- I started when my kids were teenagers, okay. so it just kind of fit with the with the program. Um, but I was able to finish out that two year cycle before okay. I I ended that. But it was a huge eye opener for me. I had no idea um, what to expect, nor how long it would be. I was more under the naive, um, oh, you go do some interviews or whatever, and then you start your way. (laughs) So at the roundtables, it's all okay. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay, so this is just have faith one day at a time. Our kids are all older, so it it fit into where we were in our lives. It was sort of just a, as my kids would say, it was just sort of the next step for us. It just, it fit well. Let me ask a question about the kids for just a moment. Going back to you, Amy, do you have kids Yes, we have three. Uh, How old are they? David is 25, Alyssa is 24, and Jillian is 22, will be 23. So they're all adults. Yes. Okay, and they were adults four years earlier, too. So because their youngest one was about 17 or so when you started, something like that. Yes. Okay. And you you said yours were older. They've gone through confirmation, so they were also essentially adults when you started. Yes, very similar ages. Is Is that the common norm for most people going through the diaconate in Orange? No, we actually have a few couples that have smaller children all the way down to kindergarten. Wow. Um, Wow. Because there is a proviso in canon law that, God forbid, something should happen either through accident or gunplay. If somebody, (laughs) if a spouse deceases, there is no second marriage. That's correct. Once ordained, so. that's a big commitment too. Yeah. Yes, knowing that if if the wife should pass, then the husband is alone. Hopefully, with the help of his family, will be the one to raise the children. However, if the deacon should pass, you're not. Like I just smile there. So <laughs> it, this one doesn't go both ways. Interesting. Okay. Yes. So because you don't receive the ordination, right. you also don't receive the restriction. So okay. So for you though, that had to be a a little consoling that uh, god forbid something should happen your children are already grown so that's not yes. a that's not a concern uh, from that perspective but for other people who are discerning the call that is something to realistically think about isn't it absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. so for you then you were saying that there was so much that was eye opening tell me one or two things that really kind of shocked you other than the time res- uh, amount that this is going to be cuz it sounds like this is going to be quite a bit Experiencing all the different ministries available to us that anyone going through this program or not can can be um, exposed to, and I had no idea. We, like we said, we did the jail ministry, and I I chose to do that along with John, and that was, I won't say that was my favorite, but it was eye opening, and I enjoyed the time that I did do it. 
Um, we also, that was well said. <laughs> <laughs> actually, the four of us and some other couples also did um, a ministry called Lights On, and that's a motorhome that's outside of the main jail in the middle oh, of wow. the night when all of the prisoners are released, and you're there just for conversation, um, snacks, cell phone, that just to give them a place to kind of come out and get their feet underneath them before they move on, whether some of them live on the street or are being picked up by family members or taxis. And that was um, a very moving experience. It- wow. Amy, what about you? Was there What was the most surprising thing that you learned about the diocese and the ministries that they offer that perhaps you hadn't known as much about? Just that they minister to a wide range of um, people out there that are in need. And like Amy said, it's the jail ministry, it's hospital ministry, it's... Uh, people on the street. There's so many different ministries. And um, as I mentioned before, it really opened my eyes so that I could get out there and, and help as much as I could. And if I didn't have a way, then this was a, a gateway into um, being in the diaconate program. This was a gateway into learning what was out there. When you're being trained, ladies, with along with your husbands, are you trained to empower or are you trained to actually have hands-on and do? Or is it a mixture of both? You, I would you follow say my question? Yes, I would say it's a mixture of both, actually. How, yeah. how does that work? I mean, is it just what the, each ministry has a different intent or a different use for you? I hate to use the word use, but the role you play in different ministries, what I assume be different and will be different as you go through this time with your husbands into the future? Well, I think the basic is, and Deacon Frank said this perfectly, and that was bringing the altar to the streets and the streets to the altar. That's what it's about. Oh, I like that. And so when we go out there, we are ministering to those that maybe not even feel loved or that may not have religion. And we're not going to go in and bombard them with religion, but we're going to let them know that there is a God out there, that Christ does love you, um, and that there are others out there that love them as well. In your conversations with with deacons' wives, people who've already been ordained and perhaps been doing this for a a season or two, so seasoned wives, (laughs) is there an issue with not having the title or the license or the whatever? I mean, your husbands are going to have the title deacon. And that kind of gives them a certain license, so to speak, not just the fact that they can do certain things that they couldn't do before, like offer blessings and and get up and do the homily, but they are the deacon. Is there something lacking for you or is it, you follow the question I'm going there, that's kind of a harder, it's it's more of an empowerment issue. How empowered really are you if it's your husband who has the title? I see us as one. We're a married couple first. And so we are, as one, a couple of one. And so I'm here to support David on his journey, just as he would support me on my journey, whether it would be something else in a different ministry. And so I stand behind him, and he stands behind me. Is that because of your personality and your own marriage, or is that common amongst most of the wives you've seen? I'd say maybe a little bit of both. Okay. But has that been your experience as well? Because I, I can tell your personality is very different. What? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I definitely I am fine without the title. But one thing that I've really learned in this is that most of what they can do as deacons, anyone out there in the community 
can do. I mean, we're reaching out to people. We're, we're being present to people that maybe just feel like they are alone. And we all have the opportunity to volunteer our time in pretty much all of the ministries that they are. So I just, for me, it's just been so enlightening that there's so much more that I can do on a daily basis. I don't need to be a deacon and have a title for that. I can go and do those on my own. I, I think that's something that a lot of Catholics don't quite realize. It's like some Catholics are shocked to realize when they talk to a nun or a sister, they're not ordained, they're not clergy, they're lay people too, but they're lay people with vows and are allowed to wear a certain set of dress to set them aside. All of us are able to do almost everything in the Catholic Church with the exception of certain liturgical duties and certain sacramental duties, which can be the same but are not necessarily the same. Other than that, we're talking about empowerment within ministries. So, well said. So, from a, a woman's perspective, has what's been the hardest part so far of going through this process? Has it been the time element? Has it been the emotions behind it? Has it been the secret conversations with your husband when he wants to give up and throw things at somebody in the diocese? Because I know this diocese also... And, What's been the hardest part? And no names, please. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it was more the emotional side. It was really getting to know myself. I feel like I'm a much different person today than I was when we first started. Um, From the knowledge I've gained, but just from the things that I've gone through and watched others go through has transformed me personally. Um, And I just, I feel like a stronger person, more armed to go out there and serve the community and I, I think that trickles down. I, I think that that's something that a lot of us need to do. It shows our children and their friends that, hey, we're out there and come with us. And it's sort of just spiral. So this has been a real growth experience for you. Extra- yes, okay. tremendous. And I, I assume it's been a growth experience for you as well. How so? Absolutely. I would I would definitely piggyback on what Amy has said. Um, it's been a great experience. I've learned so much. I am able to bring what I've learned out to others, um, and most especially in my own home with our kids. In today's society, we have um, young adults who are moving away from their faith. And so um, I think it allows us to be a reminder, a walk-in reminder in our own home when our kids come to visit or when we are on call um, on the telephone or texting. David will send a prayer to them as a reminder or, um, you know, I'll bring something of of God in the conversation. I'll slip it in some way, but um, it's been a it's been a great experience. I am so glad to hear that. For our listening audience, you're listening to um, John and Amy Silberstein and David Hernandez and Stephanie Hernandez, and they are deacon couples to be, and they are going to have uh, both uh, John and David ordained uh, on Saturday. And we're talking about what the calling has been. Gentlemen, you've been very good this segment of keeping your mouths closed, but we're going to open them a little bit this next time. When we come back, I want to hear what your call has been like. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. We're talking about the diaconate, and we will be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today are John and Amy Silberstein and David and Stephanie Hernandez, deacon couples-to-be, and they're at the end of their formation process. 
Let me take that back. They're at the end of their initial formation process. They're about to be ordained and then start their next stage of formation process as they live lives as deacons. And with that in mind, because this is really not an end, this is really, it's kind of like the word commencement. The word commencement, when, when kids come to their, their 12th grade year and they graduate, they call it commencement because it's a beginning. So let me ask you, gentlemen, you know, we talked a little bit about your call, but what's this training been like for you? And let's start with what's been the chief fears or frustrations that have been involved the last three or four years? That's a good question. It what was hard you want to cut off. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was really hard to stay quiet for the last segment. So we're thinking about these questions is, is difficult. One of the things that, that we talk a lot about in formation isn't so much just the liturgical role that deacons play, which, which is obvious. And if you go to Mass, you see deacons every now and then. But it's also the role we play outside of that liturgical role. That That's really the – there are there are two focuses, but that's the focus we often overlook and that we often – fall away from. So staying involved in the communities, doing things like we've talked about prison ministry, hospital ministry. I am not called to be a hospital minister. I grew up in a family we kind of don't like hospitals, despite the fact we grew up in the medical field. But yeah, <laughs> well, that's good. We'll have to explain that later. But, you know, I, a nurse who can't stand on the side of blood. I love it. <laughs> but I like prison ministry. And I had never been in prison before, but it was just a great experience in seeing how just being there and talking to those men and women in the prisons, you can make a huge impact. Uh, hopefully it, it, some of it sticks. And, it, and when we go in, our prayer before we would go into the prisons, if, if we can just touch one person today. And I think that's kind of, kind of the mantra that I've developed over these past five years is I really just want to touch one person in a day. And if you can do that, I think we're, we're living the call that Christ has asked us to do. That's the positive. That's good. What's been hard? Oh yeah, I, I, I skipped over that. On this one. Uh, uh, th- th- these aren't all softballs. What's the uh, what's the hardest part about doing this? Time management. I mean, d- that's a fair fair statement. Yeah, because we um, we're all working or retired, but we are independent. We we don't derive any kind of financial support from the diocese. Yeah. So that's something a lot of people don't know. Deacons generally don't get paid unless they're actually in a full time ministry where they would compete for that job like anyone else would. If they're doing a ministry in the parish that's in need but not paid, they don't get paid. Right. So fit that in with raising a family, your normal job, whatever that normal job is, other things that you do in life. Uh, We've always been a very active family. Our kids have all played ice hockey. I coach ice hockey and some other things, volunteer work. But you know, just staying. Kids all have their teeth still. Miraculously. What a great coach. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, but it's one of those things. It's just you, fitting it in is can be time consuming, and then fitting your married life into that too, and the discussions that go into all that. So it's not easy. You're not allowed to say time management. What's been hardest for you? I think I don't know if it's hardest, but just reminding myself to trust and to trust God uh, throughout the process and even beyond the process. That if I'm truly called to this ministry, uh, us as a couple that whatever challenges come our way, they will work, we will be able to work through those, and uh, God will prevail. Uh, and so uh, whether it's, you know, I almost lost a 30-year job throughout the process, but just staying faithful and uh, focused on God, things worked out, and many challenges come our way, but just, I think, reminding ourselves to trust in God and then discerning to see because there are so many needs out there, uh, discerning to see where do you feel God is truly calling you. It's a wonderful class because we're all different, 
We all have different strengths, uh, minor strengths, and that's the beauty of it because there are so many needs we can cover quite a bit with, with the skills of our wives as well as uh, the gentlemen. So from the perspective of what's been difficult to work with, this has been eye-opening and a growth experience in different ways for both of you. So what has been the most um, fulfilling aspect of doing it so far? So for me, actually, it's been going through it with my wife. Uh, you know, I think we've mentioned this before, but all of our kids are out, and, and like the Hernandezes, our kids are in their, their mid to early 20s. So we're facing empty nest syndrome, syndrome through this process. And it's been great to have, and I don't want to say it's a crutch. I think we would have been fine as well, but that deepening of our faith, the, the deepening of our focus on others and the community has been very, very rewarding. And I and I hope I speak for my wife, but I, I might not. But she's she's nodding her head. She's nodding her head, yes. <laughs> people people on, on, on the radio can't see that. She's nodding her head, yeah. Um, but that's been, I think, for me, the most rewarding experience. Have you done Crucio or a marriage <laughs> encounter or anything like that, either my father-in-law had that played as his last song for his funeral. Oh, scene. wonderful. And, it, and at the speed it's supposed to be at, not at the, the dirge speed. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but so you've gone through Curcio. Yes, we have. And it's actually um, on a Curcio that I got the, I feel I've got the final call from God that wow. you need to look into this. How did yeah. that happen? Well, I was working on the retreat. Well, let's stop for a moment. Explain briefly what's Curcio, because I was just throwing that out there. Because Curcio and Marriage Encounter are, are two very big uh, couple-oriented growth experiences that most people that have gone through them would highly recommend that couples go through. So where possible, most people in the diocese puff those. What is it? What's Curcio? So Curcio's, um it's more of a lifestyle in the sense you go on a three-day uh, retreat, uh, and it's really geared towards helping to equip you to journey the rest of your life, focusing on piety, study, and action. Mm-hmm. And through that weekend, you become aware of the intense amount of love that God and the community have for you, and that we aren't journeying alone, that there's a whole community and we journey together. So how did this confirm then? I mean, I could see where it might, but how did it confirm for you? What happened? Well, I was working on a Curcio. Uh, and uh, I was working with a group of men, and my intention, I had a private prayer intention between God and myself to uh, send me a sign that if this is where he was calling me, that he would give me the sign. And my intention was to pray a lot about it in the chapel. Unfortunately, I was busy ministering to the men, and I didn't have the time to pray. And so... On a Saturday after lunch, then... Um, Francis would disagree with you because you were praying while you were ministering. Yes, that's I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you got me there. Sorry. <laughs> and so uh, after lunch, uh, one of the other team members came over and just mentioned something that I still feel I need to keep very personal. Yeah. Mentioned something that he wasn't sure what it meant, but I knew clearly what it meant, that it was God saying, David, this is what you need to do. And it was wow. crystal clear, and uh, and then it was actually after the weekend after that, because I still hadn't told Stephanie that. I was trying to think, okay, what is where am I going to go with this? How do I tell her this? Oh, good. Then the weekend after that, the deacon couple at our parish, Deacon Rich and Georgianne Lovett, uh, they came up, and then they also approached me about it. And then that's when I called Stephanie over and said, we need to talk about what I'm hearing. So... 
have the two of you had confirmations like that? I don't want to say from God, but from God, that what you're doing is right. What kinds of things have gone along the way that have kind of bolstered you in your decision to continue to move forward through to Saturday? Why do you really believe, I guess, God is calling you this way beyond the initial hunch to where you really think, no, God really is calling me to be, to say yes to walking up on that altar on Saturday? So I think little things throughout the process, like I mentioned before, I I really do enjoy prison ministry. As much as I would have never have thought that that would have been in my wheelhouse, like I said before, I've never been to prison. I don't even think I had so many friends that were there. It was just outside of, of what my upbringing had been that I really, truly enjoy that. I also like ministering from the pulpit. I, I feel a calling to be a homilist. I think I'm okay at it so we far. We can use some good ones. And, uh, but we also, deacons bring a very different perspective to the, to the pulpit that priests just, they don't have that perspective. I mean, we're married men typically. We have families and kids. We live different lives. And, and like Stephanie said earlier, bringing the street to the altar and the altar to the street is, is, a, is a big calling. And however we are all called to do that, that confirmation has come through this process. What about you, uh, David? I think for me, for me it would be seeing the signs along the way where something that you said or did or even with uh, my wife, Stephanie, things that she's said, like when we went to prison ministry where it impacted somebody's life, something simple that we wouldn't have thought it would have had the impact that it did, and yet it was it changed you know somebody's life. You know the first first night we went to the lights on program. Stephanie ended up praying with the young gentleman, and we still pray for him today. And I can still clearly see his his face in my mind, and that was a confirmation that had we not been there, who would have done that? Amy and Stephanie, same question for them. What have you seen over the last couple of years that really confirm in your mind that your husbands are called to walk up to that altar on Saturday? I'm going to say the needs out there in the in just even in Orange County, the needs that um, so many people don't know Christ, they don't know or feel that they're loved, and I think by the gentlemen that will be ordained along with the wives, we can be the hands and the feet. Of Christ, we can bring um, His love to those that don't feel it. You're you're kind of looking I, like I've yeah. got similar thoughts, but nothing. Definitely similar thoughts. It's it's that they are they do feel called and they are willing, and not everyone is willing to dedicate themselves to to that ministry, to going out and being in the community and bringing that back to the church and and vice versa. It's a very important commu- um, ministry to be involved with. Uh, I. As I recall the history of it, we we had it for from the beginning of the biblical era up until uh, several centuries ago, and then it came back with the Second Vatican Council, and it's kind of been developed as a couples ministry, and it sounds like so far this process has been for both of you couples a a very engaging experience as couples. Uh, have there been times when you felt that it has come between you? I would say not often, but I mean, it obviously has. not seriously. You're still together, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say there have been times where I felt like, oh goodness, um, you know, they want him to do this or they want him to do that, and so I think as wives, we our role, I I believe, would be to either rein him back in, 
um, maybe kick the pedestal out from under him to remind him that, you know, you're just as all of us, you might have been ordained, but you are just like myself and in anybody else um, that's out there on the street. I think there's always that fear moving forward of the inability to say no to the church. That's it. Um, that is, it is a concern of mine. Um, I, I came know out my of, husband. I came out of Presbyterian ministry. And the very first ministry formation class they gave us, the very first lesson was, you need to memorize the following word, no. That will help you for the rest of your life to know when to use it. Correct. And, and John is a um, full-time professional volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so that is a concern of mine moving forward and how we can navigate that in the best way for our family. When we come back, because we've got one segment left, this is flown by. I hope you all have had fun, and I'm going to recommend this particular uh when it's after it's been aired for people who want to listen to it, uh, they can go to the blog. We'll talk about that later. This would be great for a lot of people to listen to if they have interest in becoming a deacon. When we come back, I want to talk about what your hopes and dreams are and where you plan to go, what your ministries plan to be. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today are two deacon couples, the Silver Signs and the Hernandezes. And when we come back, we will talk about where they plan to be in ministry. And we will be right back. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today have been two deacon couples. And before we go any further, these are deacon couples to be, and I want to thank you, first of all, for responding about to my phone call. Oh, <laughs> and then being willing to come on the air and be so candid and open about what this process has been like. John and Amy Silberstein. Sorry, sorry Silberstein. You know what? Eventually, I'm going to get this right. Before we're done, I'm, I'm going to get it right. Else. John and Amy, yes. <laughs> John and Amy, thank you very much for coming in. I deeply appreciate that. And David and Stephanie, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Your your cooperation and and your candor has been very helpful. I am going to recommend that anyone who would like to look at the diaconate, listen to the first section so far, hopefully this last section as well, and they can get that on the podcast, which will be posted after this airs. Uh, They can go to occatholic.com and go to the radio tab. There are about eight radio programs we produce. This, of course, is Orange County Catholic Radio, and they can pull up the podcast. In this segment, you know, this is kind of like the the what do you want to do with the future type thing. So this is kind of the, the, the dreams, but what do you have in mind that your ministries will be like? And this is actually for all four of you. And part of me wants to start with the ladies before we start with the men. But I'm going to hold off on the ladies for the moment. I'm going to, because you, you might be a good uh, reality check. Gentlemen, what do you see your ministry as, both this coming year, five years from now, ten years from now? So the beautiful part about the diaconal process, at least for me, has been, is that what we were doing before is not what we're going to be doing going forward. Um, Stephanie mentioned earlier that one of the, it's not a requirement per se, but they really encourage us to put aside our pre diaconal training ministries and focus on the diaconate. So coming out on this side, many of us are not involved in a very specific ministry within our parishes. And then for me specifically, I've been moved. So my the parish we're at now is not the parish we've been at for over 25 years. So we've only been here for two. Let me stop for a moment. Is that going to be traumatic? You've been at 25 years of the same parish. You've developed relationships that you've... You, and a lot of those relationships are temporal, meaning... You go when you're done, you have coffee, donuts, or whatever, and you sit around and you talk for a half hour outside. How's this going to be? 
It's been a huge, uh, from my perspective, a huge transition. Um, St. Norbert is our family. We raised our children there. St. Killian has been very welcoming. I really enjoyed that. But I will admit, every time I go to Mass at St. Norbert, I sit in the front pew, which we've always sat in, and I cry probably every time, just that morning of that, that's our family. And so we're having to learn and, and you know, grow and create a new family at St. Killian. Were you asked or told that this is what's going to happen? I mean, how does that work? Is it like a discernment process or... How do they do this? Do they have someone who's wiser than anybody and they're going to tell you where to go? So to answer your question, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, as I mentioned earlier, Father Pat Rudolph was the pastor at St. Norbert's. He moved to St. Killian. I placed one condition. and we, we never do that, right? But I placed one condition on my becoming or going into the diaconal studies program is I don't want to move parishes. So the Holy Spirit always has a weird uh, sense <laughs> of humor. humor. Yes. Yeah. And... Uh, Father Pat moved to St. Killian's. He calls me up, says, would you ever consider moving? I said, yeah, I'd consider moving. And sure enough, I get a call from Deacon Frank saying, uh, would you consider moving to St. Killian's? And we looked at each other for a little bit, and then we just said, yes, it was kind of a leap of faith. Um, like It's difficult giving up your family of 25 years. So they, they called with an ask, but it was a, we really would like you to do this kind of ask. That's a fair way to say it. Okay, yeah. So it's not you could have said no but you would have it would have been good if you had a real good reason why. Correct. Yeah. So to answer the, the the first question going into this we kind of are looking at each other like we don't know what where we're going to be in the parish which is kind of a great thing it's it's scary but it's it's really rewarding because we'll go where the spirit calls us and where we feel called to go in our, in our new new parish. So we're doing some baptisms next week already and, <laughs> um, which is exciting and just getting involved in other Parts of the ministry, we were actively involved in confirmation, uh, the parish fiesta at St. Norbert's. So where, wherever we go to St. Killian's, I think it's going to evolve over the next year or so. That will be a clean break, too, though. That will allow you to really not fall back into old habits, but start fresh. Definitely. David, you're going to be, though, at the same parish you were in before? Yes. So how does this affect your vision of what your, your ministry is going to be? Well, we, too, will be involved in baptisms in December. We're already on the schedule. Everyone's got to get their feet wet. (laughs) And a few other parts. Uh, We've been involved, and we'll probably continue on our marriage prep program at our parishes, evolving, as I think a lot of them are throughout the diocese. Uh, And so we probably, in some way, will probably be asked to be involved with that. Uh, We're not sure. I'm bilingual, and so I think Father Patrick will be having me be involved, at least um, liturgically, uh, with some of the uh, Hispanic... Uh, I was going to say Hernandez, you must speak Vietnamese. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll see it, we'll, we'll go from there. There's uh, areas that, you know, we'll have to see kind of where the need is, what's not being addressed, and how can we help to set something up to start addressing a need that's not really up being addressed yet. Do you have a hope or dream for a ministry, a, kind of a, a secret pet ministry you'd like to make sure you get involved with, if you can? Um, I don't know that it's... A secret pet. What I through this process, I've become aware of just a lot of parents that are dealing with teens that are dealing with mental illness, and the struggles and, and the sense of loss or hopelessness that they feel. And so, you know, I'm wondering if perhaps there might be something that we develop to help provide support for parents that are wow. going through mental illness challenges. That sounds like that would involve more training on your part. Do you have a, 
background in that, or are you going to rely just on the pastoral aspects? Of I, I don't, and so that's why I say it's still a matter of discerning to see kind of, you know, talking to Father Patrick also uh, and kind of seeing where we're going. A, a lot of that kind of ministry is real support for the people who are going through the, the problems and traumas and trials of dealing with teenagers who have mental illness. Yes. So, wow, very, very good. So in this process, uh, as you're looking forward, how do you hope to be doing ministry, say, 10 years from now? If you had your dreams, say, okay, God, if I have my way. <laughs> Remember, he's got a sense of humor, so be careful what you say. Yes. <laughs> if I had my way, what would you like to be able to be doing? What are the things that you think are going to, if you could do it so that in 10 years from now, I can retire into this set of ministry functions, what would they be? What are, what are your favorite ones? So I, I like formation. So what kind of formation for diaconal formation? Diaconal formation. So one of the things I have been working with Deacon Frank is uh, getting involved in some of the teaching aspects of it, right. um, developing uh, some of the new curricula. We mentioned earlier that, that we're going through some changes yeah. in in some of the educational pieces. So uh, Deacon Frank has asked me to be involved in some of that, um, the planning stages, and then hopefully uh, the teaching and and other practical applications. I think education is great and knowledge is is empowering except how do we apply that knowledge yeah. and we we think that's an area we miss out a lot on okay. uh, it's one thing to know what certain things like dogma and doctrine and catechism but how do you answer that question when someone in a parish comes up and has those tough questions yeah. and as deacons we need to be able to answer that. and actually as deacon wives we need to be able to answer those questions what about you 10 years from now deacon hernandez's favorite ministry that he really likes to go to what is it going to be well i think it'll have to be and generality, through the experiences that we've had through the, the, the formation, uh, we've become aware of, and I think we've mentioned this before, so many that have no concept that even there's a God out there for them. And so uh, what I would hope to be intimately involved with is bringing God to those that have no idea that there is a God uh, and so that they can see that there are other options to their life besides kind of what they've grown up with or the challenges that they've grown up with. And so I don't know where that might lead lead us to. But um, real evangelization for people who have no clue about God. We have a no. whole generation right now that has grown up in a secular society without a real understanding that there is a God who created. And uh, that's there. what is God. Right. And that's something that I think 10 years from now is going to be sorely needed. Very yeah. much so. Wow. For people who are interested in getting involved with diaconate formation or perhaps looking and asking questions, well, what would you suggest they do? Who should they contact or how would they go about starting that process of at least asking the questions? Well, I think one of their primary ones would be calling Deacon Frank at the diocesan offices. So call Deacon Frank. So Deacon Frank, your phone is going to light up, I'm sure. So <laughs> Deacon Frank at the diocesan office. What's his last name? Chavez. Chavez. Deacon Frank Chavez. Deacon so. Frank they can also talk to the deacons at their parish to um, have them idea. give them some guidance, maybe guidance with prayer, with discernment, uh, exposure to what the role of the deacon is, and just kind of help walk with them through the journey. Because there's a lot of unknowns as you go through initially through the journey, both for the husband as well as for the wife. Okay. And then when you're talking about becoming a deacon, you have to be married to for this particular kind of ministry. Is that correct? No. 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 So you can go through to become a permanent deacon without being married and not becoming a priest. 
Correct. In fact, in the class, so we talk a lot about classes, but every there's a class at every other year. So odd number of years is what there's a diaconal class. So we're the class of 2019, but in the class of 2017, there was a single gentleman. So he has to take a vow um, that he will not be married and have a, you know a relationship during after ordination. So he is but he plans to be not a priest. He wants to be a permanent deacon. Correct. He likes his his other vocations, other calling. Because mm-hmm. there are some vocations that are not quite consistent with a priesthood, but can be done by a deacon. Mm-hmm. Very well done, everyone. I thank you very much for being so open and coming in. Before we go, I would like, you, you can't give your blessings yet because you haven't been ordained yet, <laughs> but you can lead us in a word of prayer. I, I think we had uh, one of you pray before. Yeah, David uh, started. So let's have it, you. So it's funny, David's charism is, is contemporaneous prayer like that. It is not my charism, but we'll give it a go. How's that sound? <laughs> John Silberstein is about to give us a, a root, root prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious Father, thank you for the gift of families. Thank you for the gifts of deacons. Thank you for the gift of radio and those who are adept at putting the word out so that you all may hear. We ask for your blessings on those who hear this and hope that they maybe hear a call that they have not heard before. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And once again, I want to thank you all, uh, John and Amy Silberstein, and David and Stephanie Hernandez, for coming in and sharing with you this last stage of the journey before ordination. Uh, if anyone would like to hear this broadcast again, you can go to Orange County Catholic Radio and go to the radio tab and pull down Orange County Catholic Radio as a program. And um, a couple of days after its first broadcast, it'll be up as a podcast. And you can share this with anyone who is very interested in becoming a deacon or why you want to talk someone out of it, although I don't think this program will do that. <laughs> I'm Rick Howick, your host, and on behalf of uh, John and David, Amy and Stephanie, thank you all for listening, and we will see you again next week. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Thank you.